when I moved to Netlify originally, that was in my employment contract that I still would maintain ownership of Eleventy. So it wasn't a hard discussion to have. Everyone at Netlify was super supportive of that. And they see the benefit in Eleventy speeding up its development and feature delivery to Netlify as well. So it's kind of a win-win, which is interesting and I think pretty rare for an open source project. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Sentry. Build better software faster, diagnose, fix, and optimize the performance of your code. Over 1 million developers and 68,000 organizations already use Sentry. That number includes us. Here's the absolute easiest way to try Sentry right now. You don't have to do anything. Just go to try.sentry-demo.com. That is an open sandbox with data that refreshes every time you refresh or every 10 minutes, something like that. But long story short, that's the easiest way to try Sentry right now. No installation, no whatsoever. That dashboard is the exact dashboard we see every time we log into Sentry. And of course, our listeners get a deal. They get the team plan for free for three months. All you got to do is go to Sentry.io and use the code changelog when you sign up. Again, Sentry.io and use the code changelog. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We record live each and every Thursday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern. Join the community and Slack with us during the show at jsparty.fm slash community and follow along on Twitter. We're at jspartyfm. Special thanks to our partners at Fastly for shipping our shows super fast to wherever you listen. Check them out at fastly.com. Hey, hey, let's do this. It is party time, y'all. Yes, friends, you know what time it is. It is JS party time. Once again, I am Jared and I am joined by my good pal, Nick Nisi. What is up, Nick? Ahoy, hoy. Hi, Jared. We have a special guest today, don't we? We do. He's a return guest. He's a very special guest. He's a longtime friend of ours and a co-organizer of the Nebraska JavaScript meetup and the world-renowned NEJSConf, <laughs> which is now on hiatus slash retirement. Who is this mystery man? It's Zach Leatherman. <laughs> We are going to talk about what you're up to, Zach. So Zach is a person. He works at Netlify. He's an online guy. He's been doing web work for many years and is the creator, lead maintainer of Elevendy, which is a very cool static site generator. Zach has been on the show a while back with Nick and Divya talking about static sites. I think that was like in the before times, like 2019, maybe even before our final NEJS conf that happened. So it's been a minute. It was, it was. Wow. Was it before? Yeah. Probably, I think we probably teased the NEJS conf trying to sell some last minute tickets there <laughs> on that episode. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But nothing to sell here today. Well. But here to talk about Eleventy. Well. When you make YouTube bucks. I'm kidding. <laughs> YouTube bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so where shall we start? Let's start with Eleventy, what it is, why you created it. Take us back to the beginning. We don't have to go deep into the whole history because like I said, we had that other episode, but tell the folks what Eleventy is and kind of where it's been and where it's going. Yeah, I mean, Eleventy is an open source project that I started in 2017, I think. So it predates me working on Elify. It predates a lot of things in my professional career. And originally I just created it as a way to 
facilitate making websites for myself. I mean, they were, some of the original NEJS comp websites were built using 11D, and uh-huh. my personal website, I think, was one of the first ones that was launched with 11D. And even before that, it was a Jekyll site, and even before that, it was a WordPress site. So it was like, this is a very old website, a very legacy site that I had, and I've been maintaining for, I don't know, since 2006 or something like that. And so it really needed to work for projects that were already sizable and were already like, had already a bunch of content on them. So um, it's kind of a tool that was created to facilitate my own, <laughs> my own itch, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a lot of things came from it since then, but yeah, it was really just for me <laughs> originally. Yeah. The story, I mean, the story from there really is interesting. I have a small confession to make. So I guess our relationship predates 11D as well. You know, we've been online acquaintances, friends, and co-organizers for a long time. So I've always been watching what you're doing, interested in what you're doing. And when 11D first came out, I didn't get it. I was like, yet another static site generator. There's Hugo, there's Jekyll, there's JavaScript things. And I was like, it's cool that you want to scratch your own itch. But I was just kind of like, is anybody going to use this? Because it's, even though I liked it because I was friends with you, I was like supporting it. But I was secretly like, I don't get it. Like, there's so many of them. And I was, couldn't be more wrong with the success <laughs> of, of 11D. I mean, like, everybody loves it. What do you think attracted folks to it? Like, what kind of, it's simple. It's trying to be simple. I know that. But uh, a lot of these projects, you kind of figure out what they are along the way. And I'm sure you have done that. But what do you think attracted folks to 11D that aren't you? I mean, that's a very good question. I think I had some of the same surprise going into the project as you did, um, just in terms of people wanting to use it. I mean, there's a couple of different reasons. So the popularity of Jamstack, I feel like, facilitated a lot of 11E success and sort of hitching our wagon to Netlify in that regard. I think another one is sort of the decrease or the I don't want to say the final stage, but a lot of folks are moving off of Jekyll and Eleven and Jekyll share a lot of architectural like roots. Mm. Eleven was sort of based on Jekyll. I love Jekyll. Jekyll's amazing. And I wanted something very similar in the JavaScript world. That was really what like caught my eye with it because I had built stuff with Jekyll before, but I didn't like that I totally didn't understand gem files and Ruby and that whole rigmarole. And then I saw everyone getting really excited about things like Hugo. And I was like, yeah, but I don't really want to learn Go to run my website. And I was just like dabbling with with just like a custom homegrown gulp script that would kind of put things together. Not that my site has anything on it or is remotely popular, but it was just fun to play around with. But that was what caught my eye. I remember specifically talking to you, I think at DoSpace one time about this side project. I don't even know if you called it 11D yet, but like you're like, yeah, it's kind of like Jekyll, but JavaScript. I'm like, oh, yes, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the JavaScript static site generators before didn't really follow a lot of the Jekyll architectural patterns that were really good. Mm-hmm. A lot of them tried to reinvent the wheel from scratch. And I don't know, I, I think that I appreciate and saw the value in what Jekyll provided and wanted to improve on that if I could. So. I think there's a lot of value in just taking good ideas from one place over to another. And then, of course, over time, you start to find out, you know, what could be better and you 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 grow and change it and you adapt it. But just saying, like, I like this thing over here. I'm going to take it over to this other place where I'd rather hang out and build a similar thing. 
And it benefits all those people who you know, maybe they didn't know Ruby or know what Jekyll was. And you did because that was like the previous thing that everybody was using Jekyll for probably a decade, whether you wrote Ruby or not. And then, like Nick said, Hugo came along. Of course, since then, Gatsby, there's lots of other things that have gotten like VC funded and like there's, there's a lot going on in the space. But even though I was kind of side-eyeing like, oh, a little bit of a wheel of reinvention in JavaScript, cool. I loved the name from the start. That was the thing. Like, is Eleven D is that like a Will Ferrell thing, or is it a, or maybe from Austin Powers, like Eleven D billion dollars, or where did the term Eleven D come from? I feel like it's like a comedian that made it popular, but maybe not. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different like pop culture things that I feel like have overlapped with the name. Yeah, but I mean, originally for me, it came from a story that my grandma told me about when I was younger. When I was learning how to count, I would say 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and then 11 D, 12 T, 13 T. And it was just a way, like a confusing way that I used to count because the numbers 11 through 12, 11 and 12 don't make sense. Right. In English. Yeah. So you've been working on this your whole life then? <laughs> yeah, based on that <laughs> one story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not sure why it resonated with me. I thought it was like a, maybe it's a line in, in some sort of a movie as well. But as soon as I saw 11D, I, I felt like it was familiar and yet cool, you know? It's in Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's Lord of the Rings. It's in Lord of the Rings. They have 11Zs, which is like the Hobbit second, third breakfast right. or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a couple of different, like very similar overlaps. And it is actually an Italian clothing brand too, which oh, wow. cracks me up because it's like a premium like to me, the name seems is a little bit jokey, right? It's yeah, like silly. kind of whimsical, but yeah, this Italian clothing brand is like top tier, very expensive clothing if you go out and search it. So it's not really the same vibe <laughs> that I was going for. Have you ever issued, the, issued them a DMCA takedown request? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm hoping that they don't do the same to me. All right. Moving on. Please don't go after <laughs> us. Expensive Italian clothes brands. I mean, I have the outlet in that I spell it differently, but yeah, I can always just go with the one one ty. Right. But yeah, which is cool too. You got a lot. There's a cool factor there for sure. So tell us about the the meteoric rise in just usage because all of a sudden, I mean, I think because it was easy to get started with, like a lot of people started building their first website with it or their new side projects. And it seems like for me as an observer, it was like it was just a a fun easy thing to use. And so like the, the UX, if we're going to get uh, serious, right, was like high quality. And so people liked to use it. And so they liked to talk about it. And because it was like alongside their new site or alongside their new project, it's like, by the way, built with 11 And I think that kind of gave us a, a head of steam. Was there anything else? Do you agree with that? And was there anything else that you think contributed to it? I mean, yeah, I would say that for a certain style of site, I mean, there are so there are a ton of frameworks that have really gained in popularity. You kind of mentioned it uh, a little bit earlier, and frameworks that have taken investment like Gatsby and Next.js come to mind very specifically. And Eleventy, uh-huh. for whatever reason, has been able to like position itself as the alternative to those, and it's mostly like just in the way that the framework is talked about. And I don't know if I really set the tone in the single page applications versus multi-page applications architecture discussion. But the big thing about Eleveny for me is that it wants to exist in that same automation space, but not in the overly automated solving too many problems for you space that can get into like leaky abstractions. There's a lot there, but I would say that 
the huge popularity of these these spa-based frameworks, single-page application-based frameworks, and an alternative to that where it gives you more control over the output in terms of 11D doesn't like do anything that you don't want it to do. We don't inject like a even a meta name generator. You can't tell that an 11D site is an 11D site unless you have access to like the source code to generate the site. So if I go to a website on the internet that was built with 11D, there's no guarantee that I could even know that it was built with 11D. And that's much different architectural idea in stark contrast to your Gatsby's and your Next.js's because they have so much client-side bulk associated with the sites that you generate that it's very easy to tell what how those were made and what they were made with. Nick, did you rebuild your blog in 11D? I did, yeah. How did that go? I got tired of uh, not remembering how Gulp works. <laughs> and there was something fraught with the way that I would like sync things up uh, because I was just using like a you know, shelling out to rsync to move things over. And I got very scared of that. So not to, to shill 11D and Netlify, but I now <laughs> build with 11D and then it just auto deploys to Netlify and it's very easy and I don't have to think about it, which is amazing. I mean, and I'll, and I'll admit that my site wasn't even on Netlify until like, I want to say a couple months ago. And I was using 11D since the beginning, but it was um, yep, not a small task to migrate my entire existing site from my PHP-based host before to a static site that I have now. But it actually ended up being much easier than I thought, <laughs> and I should have done it much sooner. But yeah, <laughs> now I'm on Netlify. Hey, it works great. Right. What were some of the concerns? Like, were there dynamically rendered pages going on at certain places? I'm sure over the course of more than... 10, 15, 20 years, a site gets a certain amount of cruft that you just threw up a page once in the back in the day and you don't want to break it. What all you have to do? It was a much bigger task to migrate from WordPress to Jekyll than it was from my PHP site to Netlify because all of that work to make things static was already done even before I migrated over to 11D. I would say the biggest problem for me was I had a few test pages that were just like testing how like different web loading things work. So I had a bunch of like asynchronous CSS tests and web font tests. And I think a lot of folks probably know me for web fonts more than 11D. So yeah, I don't know. I just had a lot of test pages out there that were were using PHP as like a way to sleep a resource before it returned the content. And yeah, there's just a lot of those. So did you have to turn those into NetLifi functions or what was, what'd you end up doing with all those dynamic responses? Just get rid of them? No, they still exist. I kept them on my existing host and I just use a a proxy redirect to serve the old content. Gotcha. So you didn't ditch your old host? No, but it's from the front end, it still looks like everything's on Zachly.com. Right. So you wouldn't be able to tell that it was still running on my old web host, but it, it still is, yeah. It's proxy. It's an invisible proxy, but it's not as if you could just turn off that old hosting at this point because you still have some endpoints basically be, that are serving up responses. I mean, if I wanted to migrate those over, I could, but it was just so easy to use a redirect to point to my old host and not do any of that work, so I didn't. <laughs> Hello, friends. Jared here to tell you about ChangeLog++, our membership program for those of you who want to directly support our work. Your Plus Plus membership gets you closer to the metal with extended episodes, makes the ads disappear, and takes our audio to the next level with higher bitrate MP3s. 
You can join today at changelog.com slash plus plus. So when you started Eleventy, you did not work at Netlify. Correct. Yes, that is correct. And now you work at Netlify. Yes. Correct? Yes. You're like this is an interrogation. <laughs> and where were you the night of January 30th? All these facts are correct. There are, there are four lights. <laughs> four lights. So the reason I ask is because I wonder, did you get that job, do you think, at least substantially because of 11D? Or was it just a nice to have for them? Yes. I mean, 11D was even less popular then than it was now. So well, how, how long ago was this that you started there? It's hard to say. I've been at Netlify for a little over two years. Okay. And I would say a lot of like 11D's success in the last two years is partially, I mean, at least partially tied to Netlify. And so yeah. there's a lot of legitimacy we get from having our logo on Netlify's homepage and et cetera, et cetera. I think that, like you said, it is kind of a perfect match and calling, I don't know if if you would agree with this, but calling 11D a just a static site generator seems a little misleading because you can really be dynamic with the content that you're building through it. And that really line seems to line up with the whole Jamstack push that I don't know if Netlify coined that or, but they've been big proponents of it. They did. Yeah. I mean, I would say the, the dynamic pieces that have been added to 11D in the last um, year or two have been solely to satisfy use cases that I was working on at Netlify. So a lot of the features that have been added in to make 11D more dynamic were, were Netlify-driven things for Netlify's marketing site. So I maybe we're getting ahead of the game a little bit too, because before I even started at Netlify, I was working on 11D, and I had was basically introduced to Netlify through some web font consulting work that I was doing with Smashing Magazine. Uh. And so I don't know if you remember, like one of the very first big Jamstack migrations was the Smashing Magazine site. And so I basically was introduced to Matthias Billman, CEO of Netlify, working on and helping on the web font loading for Smashing Magazine. Um, And I was just doing that in my spare time too. So there was some crossover. I mean, obviously, 11D and Netlify uh-huh. share a lot of a lot of goals, but I would say the the origin of me like getting into or connecting with people at Netlify was through web fonts, <laughs> which is maybe strange, but yeah. So that I think delves a little bit more into what makes 11D special from my point of view is that. I think you have a very specific view of the world, Zach, as a developer and as a web engineer and have honed that and very specific skills and way of building websites, very performance oriented, very user first, very, I guess, equality focused, like geographic equality, these kind of things, the obsession over making your web font loading awesome for everybody is like something that you've made a name of a name for yourself doing that kind of work. And I think it follows that 11 D is very much, even though it is because it's your side project, scratching your itch to build your own websites. Like you build websites in a very specific and I think desirable way. And I think that's injected into what 11 D is. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't want to ask you to comment on that because it's, it's, 
maybe asking you to, to talk about yourself a lot. But Nick, does that resonate with you? Like that feeling of Zach built this and Zach builds good websites. And so Eleventy generates good websites. Agreed. Yeah. And Eleventy really doesn't get in your way, in my experience, with that. You can do a lot of different things with it. And there's a lot of different, um, you know, starter kits and, and all of that. But I'll, I'll be honest, when I started converting my stuff over to it, I went to your GitHub and looked at how yours was generated and kind of went from there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said about having built websites for over 20 years and knowing mm-hmm. what changes and what doesn't change over time and trying to stick to as much of the platform as you can because that has the the most longevity. I mean, the thing that is maybe a little strange for 11D in terms of a framework is that I want it to exist for at least 10 years. <laughs> I don't want to have to migrate my personal site to anything else for at least 10 years because... I feel like a framework should have that amount of longevity. You should round that up to 11. (laughs) Round it up to 11. Love it. Why didn't I do that? (laughs) See, Nick, this is why I need to, you need to pay me for your YouTube bucks and I need to pay you for consulting. (laughs) Anyway. You're rounding. Yeah. I just want it to last a long time. I don't want to like have to redo my website in a new framework every couple years. Yeah. And I feel like. Other folks probably feel the same way, especially with side projects that they're working on. I don't know, Nick. Do you feel that way? I mean, I feel like redoing your blog is one of your hobbies. Yeah. I mean, I use it a lot to learn new things, but I haven't done it since I switched to 11D. There you go. But I'm with you, Zach. I think unless you're doing it to learn or you have the spare cycles and you want it, you like, I mean, some people just like to tweak and change and rewrite their website. And I think it's a great playground for doing those kind of experiments as your own, mm-hmm. your own domain, your own, your own little spot on the web. But at a certain point, it's like, do I want to be porting this over and over again? Because I have to, because this framework or this tool disappeared or is stale or no longer generates fast enough for my liking. Like nobody wants to be backed into that corner. Like we want to be able to opt into it. Sure. But to be forced into it, once you've been kind of abandoned a couple of times in the open source world as just a user, and I've been around long enough to have lots of projects come and go. I've got dependencies that don't exist anymore, et cetera. You know, like it's kind of a once bitten twice shy. Like you want things to last because it's a lot of work, a lot of toil when things disappear from, out from under you. So I think that's, I'm with you on that front. There's also just a lot of ways that you can extend 11D too. Like I've only scratched the surface in my little bit of dabbling with it, but some of the cool things that you've done, Zach, that I have followed really closely are, are things like, isn't it generating like the open graph images like automatically? Isn't that part of your 11D build? Yeah. On my personal side, I have like some dynamic open graph images that show you like in some cases, the lighthouse, the like lighthouse score for the page, yeah, nice. which I thought was kind of neat, and um, yeah, just like the web mention count and just a bunch of other metadata for the the page. So is that all build time stuff that Eleventy does then? It's a mix of build and runtime stuff. So since Netlify added on-demand builders, that lets you run a serverless function and then cache it until you run another build. A lot of those open graph images are generated using those so it's kind of like a build time runtime hybrid at this point yeah i feel like that's the way a lot of sites are are gonna 
start going, especially as they grow. Yeah, just to like in- increase the speed of your builds as much as possible. Because uh-huh. the, the speedier the build, the more dynamic a site can feel, in my opinion. So if we're comparing against Gatsby, because that's just a frame of reference a lot of people have, Gatsby really optimized for speed of the site. So like, you know, Lighthouse 100 or whatever, right out of the box, which is cool. I'm sure Levity has similar goals or, or things that will generate best practices, etc. And then it came time to like building large sites. And then Gatsby basically moved that all kind of server side proprietary. I mean, there's open source things, but like they're building a business around it. And really like build times was kind of a feature for their business. I think they might be pivoting and stuff. I haven't paid that close of attention now, but I'm, I'm curious if 11D scale, like scales linearly, like a Jekyll blog, or are there any fancy things of like, as your site gets bigger, you have probably a pretty big site over the years, but let's say you got an e-commerce store with, you know, hundred thousand pages or something. Does it get to be slow builds over time? Oh, I mean, yeah, for sure. You can't have a hundred thousand pages on your build with that. Come on, Zach. Slowing down a little bit. I mean, let's be honest here. I will say that I think Eleventy has the best story in terms of the amount of performance you can get uh, before you need to switch to at least a partially dynamic build. Just as an example, I have a Twitter archive that has like a, I think, 35,000 page build that comes out of, for my site, I host an archive of all of my tweets. And I don't remember what the last build time was, but it's, it's a couple minutes on Netlify, which is pretty good. But I mean, you can move any route that you want in an, in an 11 site to be request time, or as I mentioned in that on-demand builder pattern, where it is still at first request time, but then it caches it for repeat views. Right, yeah. just once. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, theoretically, you can you can go as high as you want in that respect because, right. because the pages are generated on that first request and it it's, is not generated at build time. Yeah, especially if you're generating a sitemap and that's submitted to Google, you just let Google Crawler basically be your cache primer, right? Like it's going to crawl it probably before a visitor And so the visitor is probably going to get a faster page. But even if not, that first request, depending on how much is going on there, I don't know, it should be pretty fast. Well, I mean, you can write your own serverless function to do site crawling that you want to because you can trigger those serverless functions based on different build events that happen. So, I mean, you could even do that in-house if you wanted. So the other aspect of this, we want to talk about full-time on 11, the ad Netlify. So you've been working for Netlify for a few years now, but more recently you went to working on 11D at Netlify or maybe for Netlify. I'm not sure exactly how it works. And I know that you're very careful about these things. Like 11D is not a Netlify project, right? Like it's a open source Zach Leatherman and friends project, right? Yeah, so there was no ownership or control transferred when I started to work on 11D full-time. Yeah, it's still, all the IP is still owned by me. And if Netlify were to go away or if Netlify decided to stop sponsoring 11D, I would still retain all of the, all of the rights to it. So, and it, it helped in those discussions to have 11D predate my employment at Netlify as well, because right. when I moved to Netlify originally, that was in my employment contract that I still would maintain ownership of 11D. At that point. So, I mean, there wasn't, it wasn't a hard discussion to have. Everyone at Netlify was super supportive of that. And they see the benefit in, in 11D 
sort of speeding up its uh, development and, and feature delivery to Netlify as well. So it's kind of a win-win, um, which is interesting and I think pretty rare for an open source project. Yeah. So I want to bring in now this post you wrote, I guess it was October 21, which is what, 18 months ago-ish, who pays for web frameworks? And you were thinking a lot about sustainability models because I think at the time you were thinking about sustainability for 11. You want it to last for 11 years, as Nick said. Yep. So <laughs> how are you going to get that done, right? Because this was, even though it has helped you get this job and you can work on it sometimes, this is prior to this new arrangement. It wasn't your job, right? Like This is a passion project and it's been a thing you built in your hobby, as most open source projects are, right? And so you looked around and you wondered like, okay, who's funding development of a lot of these different things? And you made a nice table, laying out a bunch of projects, Angular, Astro, Gatsby, Levity, Jekyll, so on and so forth. We'll link to it in the show notes for people that want all those details. And they may or may not be up to date, but at this time, you still hadn't really figured out what you wanted to do. You said, I don't have the answers in your conclusion. I definitely wouldn't agree that Eleventy has figured out our sustainable, sustainable monetization strategy, but I do really admire the success that Vue has had solving this exact problem. So Vue has done it through public donations or through Patreon and Open Collective style. Did you try that move? Do you have Open Collective? And then like, did you then decide, I'm going to try to see if Netlify will let me do this? Or did they just like, hey, Zach, why don't you just work on it? So Eleven D has had an open collective for a very long time, and that was prompted by a conversation with Rob Dodson, who used to work at Google. He was sort of instrumental in, in implementing Web.dev on Eleven D. So, like one of Google's big web development properties runs on Eleven D right now, and he was suggested very strongly that I should start an open collective <laughs> to help with that sustainability story. So we've had an open collective for quite a while. And in some regards, I would say it's a little controversial that, that we've had an open collective. I wouldn't say it's like super controversial, but the way that I'm using the open collective right now is I don't feel like the best way, especially given the new arrangement with Netlify. So mm. like originally I was using the open collective given that I had a job and I was working at Netlify and I got some time to invest in 11D features prior to this arrangement. I was using the Open Collective as like a sort of fallback nest egg. So if I were to lose my job, then I would look for a new job, but also use that and work on 11D full time in the meantime. And that's still kind of my plan moving forward. I mean, we've used the, the Open Collective funds for some things to pay for the different bills that come in on the project. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the mindset that I've had for the Open Collective right now. And so I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but I feel like having some reserves in that regard is a good investment for as a fallback strategy for the project. So that's kind of how I thought about the Open Collective prior to this Netlify arrangement. And I feel like that might change a little bit. So what's the controversial part besides the fact that you're not sure if you're doing it right? Is it just because... We just weren't spending the money. Yeah. So that I did notice you have raised 52 grand over the course of the project, which is not chump change, right? Like that's 
serious money. It's not like a, it's not a salary, but it's serious money, but you spent 1100 of that. So there's like this balance that's sitting there and, and that you said is controversial or at least maybe piques people's interest or make, raises their eyebrows or something. Well, I mean, we've had a few folks ask about it. Like, why aren't you spending the money? And that's the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, you think maybe your sponsors might wonder that, right? Like the open collective sponsors, like I'm supporting you or why should I support this project? You, you're sitting on 50 grand. Do you need my money? Maybe I can see that angle. Yeah. I mean, that's valid criticism. I don't really feel like I have a great story for that. I feel like the other side of the coin is that some of these projects are better about maintainers removing the funds and not really telling a good story about what the funds are being used for. And so it's there's a lot of trust that goes into donating to an open source project. And uh, I would say that I haven't seen too many folks cancel their open collective contributions because I do really want folks to understand that it is an investment in the longevity of the project. So I don't consider this Netlify arrangement to be something that will probably exist for 10 years. I mean, if it did, that would be awesome. But I think if we're all honest, I don't think that that will be a thing that will exist in 10 years. Mm-hmm. That is kind of a fallback strategy for me at this point. And I'm open to discussing it with folks if they have concerns about that. But I do feel like that my mindset is changing a little bit with this new arrangement at Netlify. And I'll probably start to use the money in a more community organized way moving forward as I feel more comfortable with the arrangement moving forward, it just feels so weird to me. (laughs) Like the entire thing just feels surreal and weird. And even just like the last three or four weeks that I've been doing, because I'm on my fourth week of this open source arrangement right now, it's still just every day just feels strange. Like it was a thing that I had to like sneak in after hours. Like I went from less than 10 hours a week on this project to like, Now I'm doing 40 and I have to like physically stop myself from doing more than that. So I don't overwork because it's just like, I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't know how to, I don't know what to say too much about it, but yeah. How did that transpire then? Like, do you have to like figure out how to, justify the extra 30 hours that you get to spend a week on on it in terms of like getting that offer or or accepting to work on it full time how did that go about did i have to promise like roadmap things yeah no there wasn't any like external like influence over the the roadmap i would say uh i feel like i'm i'm an adult and the people i'm working with are adults (laughs) and uh there's a certain amount of understanding that goes into it without having to like say it out loud. Like I understand that the work that I'm doing should benefit Netlify in some way. And so Uh I want to help Netlify succeed so that I can continue with this arrangement that's working so well for the 11D project. So I don't know, they didn't really say anything, but it's in my interest to help Netlify succeed so that I can keep doing this. Sure. Was this your idea or their idea? That is another good question. I feel like that's hard for me to know because there were so many like little discussions that went into it over years. Mm. I've worked on Netlify.com, which was a 11D site, and that was my previous job at Netlify. 
we would work on new features to like facilitate Netlify.com requirements. And uh-huh. it became like, well, it would be great if I could have more 11 time because then I could deliver more features, which would make 11 more attractive to more projects and potentially drive more projects to Netlify. And so it was kind of like a back and forth. I would say that my my previous boss, Lauren Sell, had a lot of like background in open source and she has a lot of like experience with open source foundations and she really pushed for this to happen and I don't think it would have been possible without mm-hmm. her sort of selling it at a higher level. But it's hard to say. <laughs> like I've asked for this for a while and yeah. And it happened. So I don't know. It's hard to say whose idea was. That's kind of what I was getting at with my question that I, I asked poorly, but was kind of how it transpired. And so that, that kind of answers it a little more. I think you're definitely trailblazing. You and, of course, Rich Harris is doing similar things with Svelte, where it's like, we're not really sure how these relationships will play out or should and can in a way that's known because this is not really, this is a relatively new thing, even for, for you, it's very new, but for like the world of open source maintainers, there's been some isolated incidents, but oftentimes it's either started inside the company and you get to work on it full time, but it's our, you know, it's Kubernetes and you get to work on it because that's what the company does. But that's like, you brought it in and you're going to take it out and then you also get to work on it while you're there. And there's just lots of like, I think you need to have a very good relationship with the employer, which it sounds like you do, Mm. in order for the trust to be there, for this to actually work out over a course of time. Because if you didn't, there could be situations where they're like, hey, it would be cool if Elevendy did this, and this is like something you're diametrically opposed to. Mm. And it's like, Zach, add this feature. And you're like, I don't want to. It's like, we're your boss. And it's like, it's my project. Like that kind of stuff. I'm making it very obvious, but like those kind of things could play out over time. And I think there's still the risk of that. But if you're like walking together hand in hand and have like this mutually assured path that you trust each other, then those concerns are probably less and less. Yeah, I think that there is a huge amount of trust on both sides. And that trust has was certainly built up over my years as a, I don't want to say regular employee, but a non-open source employee. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that there there is a lot of truth to that for sure. So as Nick and I said on the episode with Anthony and Patak, when you weren't here, we were talking about you, is that it seems like to us, we both agreed, that this is like a win. It's a win-win-win because Netlify wins, Zach wins, and the community wins because now there's like adding fuel to this fire, right? Like Eleventy now gets 30 extra hours, or just roughly speaking, of attention every week that it wasn't getting before. I mean, that's it's huge. That's very valuable, right? And then like everybody who uses 11D, they just get to come along for that ride. Like they're getting basically their favorite site generator program worked on 30 hours a week extra. That's so cool. What kind of stuff does this unlock? Like, does this make it, are there features you've been waiting to build now? You're like, I got the bandwidth now. Yeah, I mean, this is opening a lot of doors for things that I would have never attempted before. And one that just came up in the last week was this browser sync removal. So we have this browser sync dependency, and it's not as maintained as frequently as I would like. And it's, I don't know, aging a little bit in terms of like the browser support that it has and the 
weightiness that comes with aging browser support. And so in the last week, I completely stripped it out and rewrote the entire like dev server in Eleventy. And that was something I never would have done prior to this full-time arrangement, just because I would not have had the bandwidth to maintain that dependency. I would not have had the bandwidth to develop that dependency, but it's like NPM installs way faster to get rid of it. And there's been a a bunch of like huge project benefits that are going to come out of this. I mean, I have a big wall of sticky notes of the same style of uh, feature that that I'm looking at moving forward. And so just like in one week, a huge example, the dev server, we completely rewrote the dev server from scratch. And there's going to be a lot more examples of that moving forward. I saw something about TypeScript support. Ah, you got to throw <laughs> some money in, Nick. Yeah, I don't want to make any promises, but I have been thinking about Dino support Okay. in 11D. So. Nice. Yeah. We'll go into that. That's on the table. First, we got to get ECMAScript modules. We don't have ESM right now. And that's definitely on the table for something that we need to do in the short term because that's where the entire JavaScript world is moving. So, yep, we need to do that first. That's a blocker. And then other things which you haven't thought about because you have to do that first anyways. So no use going any deeper on that feature. Yeah. That would be cool. So is it largely yourself that has worked on 11D during its run? Or have you ever had any major contributors that have come and gone or stuck around? I know some projects, you know, establish a core team. But has has 11D been mostly you plus some friends? Yeah, I mean, we've gotten a fair number of contributors. I wouldn't say that we've had, like, huge contributions. And most of that is, like a personal failing of mine. Like I didn't have the bandwidth to review large pull requests. Like that's a huge limitation when you only have like eight to 10 hours a week maximum to work on a project. Uh, Reviewing a large pull request is a hefty chunk of that time. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to cultivate a, (laughs) a team when you can't have huge contributions come in. So I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, it's, I wish it wasn't just me, but it is mostly me at this point. It sounds like you have more bandwidth now, but perhaps because Eleventy has this backing, you might have less people that are either willing or interested in doing those large polls because it's like, Hey, Zach's working on it. Just let it, maybe just more requests and less pitching in. I don't know how that will play out. Yeah. That's kind of been the thing that I've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of weeks is how people perceive the project and how that can affect how folks interact with the project because we have this backing. Uh And I don't know if I could make any claims about trends that are happening, but still pretty early. I'm fine for folks to ask me. (laughs) That's fine for people to ask me if they want to contribute and if they want me to work on something, Uh I'm open to all feedback. That was a reference to that, uh, the tweet about the types of comments. This is a subtweet on a podcast. Please help us yeah. help us lay people in <laughs> on the comment here. What's going on? I quote tweeted TypeScript about how huge it is that they're that stage zero proposal for ignoring type annotations in JavaScript itself. And Zach replied with uh, with something along the lines of this has me looking at it for the first time, looking at TypeScript for the first time. Mm. Don't do it, Zach. Don't look at it. I've been uh, not willing to get on the TypeScript bandwagon just because 
it didn't fit the core platform requirements that that I would have wanted for a long-term investment. And I felt like it needed to be a long-term investment if I wanted to make it. And so if they add it to the language, then for sure I'll look at it. That kind of echoes something that I think Ryan Dahl said on a changelog podcast uh, with you, Jared, about, you know, maybe one of the regrets of, you know, being TypeScript support out of the box, but mm-hmm. that probably changes the equation too, if this goes forward. So explain the, this proposal, Nick, and the implications, because I think I'm tracking, but I might not be, which means our listener might also be wondering, sure. what's this type annotation? Yeah. So the TypeScript team at Microsoft and other places like Bloomberg, Agalia, and a, a couple of other places are getting together for a TC39 proposal to allow for JavaScript to basically ignore type annotations. So the TypeScript syntax and just treat it as comments so that I could copy and paste TypeScript code and it would run just as regular JavaScript in you know your dev tools. Or I could effectively write TypeScript and run it with no build step in between. Right. So you have instant platform compatibility because it just ignores all the extra stuff that TypeScript adds. Right. But there are trade-offs for that because it could go a lot of different ways. I could have wrong type annotations and then the code's just weird. And by having that in there, it immediately makes everyone who's writing JavaScript have to also kind of know enough TypeScript to ignore that uh, those as comments. But I guess you kind of have that problem too if everything is written in TypeScript. So mm-hmm. Plus stage zero. So we're talking about eight to 10 years from now. Yeah. But more recent than that, Nick is working on a JS Party podcast episode about this conversation. So hopefully we'll pull together some folks and, and put together a show about it so we can talk about it. But uh, yeah, stage zero, as Chris Hiller said, don't get too excited about anything. Stage <laughs> zero, because we've been bit by that. That is one of the things that I would like to be able to do is someday write my 11d.js in TypeScript or have... I'm so spoiled now with type of annotations and helpers from my editor that it's harder when I don't get that. Yeah, we've had some JS doc style yeah. contributions come in. So some of that's in there. But yeah, we do have someone that's very passionate about that <laughs> contributing to the to the GitHub. Awesome. And it's great that that's another route too that everyone can win from. So yeah, kudos. So any other big plans? You have this wide open space in front of you and... You've talked about a couple of things, one thing that landed quickly, another thing that you're thinking about working on, but any other big plans on the corkboard or the on the wall that people can look forward to coming soon to 11D? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. In the next couple of weeks, I want to work on improving our serverless bundling, and there'll be a lot of improvements that come out of that, especially around incremental builds and sort of creating the best dependency map of the content that I can so that I can generate the best, smallest, serverless bundles that I can. And really more investment around asset pipelines. I feel like that's the maybe one of the most controversial things that 11D doesn't have yet because I feel like a lot of folks expect it. I mean, we have an image plugin that kind of handles our image processing, but CSS, JavaScript, all that, all that kind of stuff, we might take a not necessarily a stronger default approach, but at least some plugins to allow folks to have a better story and a better official 11D story there. So just for those who are unaware, that that's like doing some kind of pre-processing to non-JS files, like CSS and images, things like that. Well, so 
There's going to be a lot of discussion that goes into that. I feel like a lot of bundlers right now assume JavaScript as default, and that's not really the direction that the 11e community is going, and that's not really something I'm personally interested in. So yeah, we'll probably start with our, an HTML-first bundler rather than having to import everything via JavaScript. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but hopefully. So an HTML-first bundler, are are these extant? Are they, can you grab one and use one, or are you going to write a bundler? What are you referring to? Well, I think that's up in the air right now. Um, <laughs> Come on, Zach, we're trying to pin you down on something here. You're trying to pin me so, down? So lots to think about, lots to consider, <laughs> lots of ins, lots of outs, but uh, only in your first couple of weeks, so you haven't uh, you haven't gotten that far down the road. You've been focusing on this dev server thing. Yeah, I've been working real hard on the dev server. What about a merch shop? We're going to get some 11 merch. I mean, you got... You could get some stickers, get some t-shirts. I mean, that's what people want. That's what the people want, Zach. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long-standing, almost running joke that Eleveny doesn't sell stickers online, and it's almost exclusively because I don't want to have to do anything. You got nothing but time. Come on, it's sponsored. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do, would folks rather have stickers, or would they rather have more features? That's a legitimate question that we should pull the audience. Okay, no, those dose. Yes, and. Yes, and. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I wish we did have a merch shop, but I just don't want to bother with it, to be honest. Yeah. If someone else wants to do it, then maybe. I just want some awesome swag. It would be amazing. Yes. So here's an idea that we've had at Changelog, which lines up with this, which is like, we have a merch shop. We've taken the time. We've gotten fulfillment, blah, blah, blah. It sucked. We don't want to do it again. What if we could just provide that as like a thing that open source projects could just do. And then you maybe have a, like a landing page where it's like you can get a bunch of different swag from your favorite open source projects. We wouldn't do it to make money. We'd do it to make it easy. And then we would just like have like the fulfillment pipeline, like send your stuff to this place, which is what we do, and then let it go out from there. Maybe that's something that we could put together and, and provide that as a service. I mean, even if y'all took a cut, <laughs> yeah, it would be fine to me. I just don't want to do it. Just to cover the headache. That's something we've thought about. So maybe we'll, the more people we talk to that say what, maintainers that say what you just said, the more it seems like something that people would really value. So maybe we'll do that. That is a good idea. Yeah, I would be a fan of that. I mean, it does kind of get into the the larger thing of like all of the different monetization things that folks can try to, to get sustainability for their project. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like swag is necessarily one of them. <laughs> I mean, it it needs to be a piece of the pie. You have to do like yes. 10 different things to have a super sustainable project. And that's, again, it comes back to like the Vue, <laughs> Vue.js. They do all of that stuff and they do it well. Unfortunately, I think your arrangement, while awesome, doesn't necessarily scale to the greater open source community. Like, it, I think it adds to the list of things that you could potentially try to get done. You know, like, here's our arsenal of sustainability techniques. See which ones apply to your project and try to do them, maybe in the order of the most sustainable. Because there's two aspects to sustainability, right? There's like the, how much it brings in, but also how much it adds to your workload. And there's a balance there. The swag brings in a little bit of cash, but now you're a professional swag shipper outer and that takes time these things take time so yeah there's lots of things but i think what we need to do, provide maintainers is like here's all your options or here's some options here's how here's circumstances they work well not so well etc and i think this whole like full-time employment but free to work on open source thing is like 
it's the cat's pajamas, but it's also probably the hardest one to get set up. Well, I mean, I would say that it's super project dependent. It really depends on the project and what overlap you have with existing like businesses that are selling products around it. Mm-hmm. The biggest decision for Eleventy was not necessarily whether or not to go full-time open source, but it was whether to have discussions to take investment to work on the project. So I had some investors contact me. I don't know exactly when it was, but last year to start discussions about investment in Eleventy and I didn't really feel like for the 10, 11 year sustainability story that I wanted to to have, that I wanted to cede control in that way. So I didn't even have those discussions at all because I mm-hmm. knew it wasn't going to be what I wanted for the project long term. And so there are some hard choices to make because at that point I didn't have a full-time open source arrangement. It was just, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> And so, yeah, there's some very hard choices that folks have to make. And I feel like most folks are taking investment (laughs) to work on their project, but that's not what I wanted to do. So let me provide one idea for you before we let you go. Is both a way that you can spend some of that capital that you're sitting on and maybe make some money and provide something awesome for the 11D community. And you're already good at it. It's called 11D Conf. Yes. (laughs) 2023. Come on, Zach. <laughs> I mean, we've had discussions about that. Uh, and I feel like I have conference organizing experience. And so you do. I think it is inevitable that we'll have an 11 conference. Awesome. Yes. It won't definitely won't happen this year, but yeah, 2023, maybe. I think it's definitely in the cards. Well, if you want to send some tickets to friends, we're not going to, we're not going to stop you. Ask some friends to help me organize. <laughs> <laughs> Nick would love to. Nick would absolutely love to. Don't everybody volunteer at once. <laughs> I actually would. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, Nick and MC. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Nick is an excellent conference MC. He has no shame. He'll wear anything. He'll say anything. He will <laughs> layer on the puns. And he loves to just make the room sit there in silence and roll their eyes. It's like his favorite moment. So that's a good that's, that's a good skill set, Nick. I also really enjoy Nick doing those moments. <laughs> That's probably the one thing I miss the most about not having any jazz conf is Nick in a costume, <laughs> just dishing out bad puns for hours on end. That was always the best part of the conference for me. Bottle those groans up and replay them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's incredible fuel. My favorite part was just staying up all night the night before with some crazy idea about doing some video or the first year was like a some weird CSS thing that was horrible. <laughs> That's a anxiety coping mechanism, Nick. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's anxiety causing for the rest of us as it's like 7 a.m. the next morning. And we're all like, where's Nick? The conference starts and our MC is sleeping in. He stayed up all night. <laughs> Not just that. I had all of the badges. Oh, yeah, you did. So many fun freak out moments when you run a conference. But here's one thing that we did well is we had a great team of, what was it, six of us, I think. Like lots of people. And the old adage, many hands make light work, absolutely was the case. I couldn't imagine these people Mm -hmm. that run a conference with like one or two organizers. It's just like, get a lot of people involved and, you know, it's a lot easier to manage. Everything else we did on hard mode, like brand new venue every year, brand new theme every year, internal challenges that we didn't even say out loud sometimes, like, can we make this happen? You know, that kind of stuff. But I think in terms of 
organizer count. I think we we put that on easy mode because we had so many awesome people working on it. For sure. All right. Anything else, Nick? Did you want to ask Zach anything else before we let him go? You got around to eleven decaf. I think I think that's a good place to close. I think that's where we want to close. Eleven decaf twenty twenty three. Sounds good to me. All right. You heard it here first, folks. A scoop. Zach Leatherman will be throwing eleven decaf <laughs> in twenty twenty three. He bets his life on it. No. Oh, no. We can hopefully look forward to that. Of course, look forward to all the cool stuff coming to Eleventy. Thanks to this new arrangement. I hope, Zach, for your sake, for Nellify's sake, for everyone's sake, that it goes really well and that it continues to let you just focus on this thing. So all the links to all the things will be in the show notes. We'll hook up with Zach's post about web framework payments as well as the Eleventy site, as well as the Open Collective. So if you're lo- interested in learning more about Eleventy, and what all Zach has going on, check out the show notes for sure. Zach, dude, this has been so much fun. Glad to have you back. Mm-hmm. It's been too long. We need to get you on the pod more regularly. You know, we do some debates and stuff. We have a debate coming up that I think you might be interested in. It's called, Were SPAs a Mistake? <laughs> and we'll be debating that both sides of that argument. Which side would I be on? <laughs> And don't forget, we also, yeah, okay, he's in. We also have potentially that uh, type annotations episode coming soon. Lots of good stuff coming down the pipeline pretty soon. We'll have Jen Looper and Ali Spittle talking about learning web development. So lots of cool shows coming soon. But that's all for this week. This is JS Party. I've been Jared, and we'll talk to you all next time. ChangeLog++ members get to stick around for the after party on this one. We spent a few bonus minutes relishing in Zach's new arrangement and asking more questions about how it works in practice, like what if Netlify wants him to work on a different open source project? If you want in on extras like this, head to changelog.com slash plus plus. It's better, as they say. And if you're listening for the first time, subscribe now at jsparty.fm. There you'll also find our back catalog with lists of popular episodes, recommended ones from us, and a request form where you can let us know what you want to hear about on the pod. Thanks to our friends at Fastly for having our CDN back all of these years, to the mysterious BMC for keeping our beats fresh and banging, and to you for listening. We appreciate you spending time with us each week. Next up on the pod, I convene two expert educators, Jen Looper from Microsoft and our very own Ali Spittle to discuss web development for beginners. Stay tuned for that. We'll have it ready for you next week. Change log plus plus. It's better.